0: Spirit of God is definitely in this house. Amen. Well, let's get right into the word. Uh, let's start off with prayer. Father, we thank you tonight. Father, we bring honor and glory to your name. Father, we thank you for your presence in this house. And Father, we ask, Father God, that you begin to open up our hearts and become ready to receive what you have for us. Father, you know every individual in this room. You know exactly where they are, spiritually, emotionally, physically, financially, Father God. And Lord, I ask that you meet them right where they are. Give them a timely word, Father God. Father, give them the direction that they're looking for. Give them the the strength, Father God, that they need. Father God, give them everything that they need tonight, Father God. Whatever they need to hear, Father, I pray that you begin to speak into their hearts. And Father, if it means correcting them, Lord, then do so. Father, if it means bringing us to a place, Father God, where we come to know you in a personal way, Lord, I pray that that will happen tonight. But Father, I pray that you have your way. And Lord, I ask that you speak through me, Father God, words of life. And Father, we pray that you revive every one of us here, Father God, by your presence, by your word, and by your spirit. And Lord, for this we thank you as we come expecting, Father God. Thank you for the presence and power of your Holy Spirit to have his way tonight. And for this we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray amen and amen last that we started on this series called knowing your true identity and I started out with a story about the queen and her daughter that's the queen of England and the story goes where the queen of England would go out in a public place with her daughter and along with the family and the daughter had this tendency to slouch every time she sat and sit you know really awkward and um and she became a, 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 an embarrassment to the queen and to the royal family, because the problem here was that she was not acting in a manner that reflected her identity, which is the princess. And so the queen, at this point she was fed up. And she looked at her daughter and she told her, sit up. Don't you know who you are? And the reason why I shared that story was to make this point, which is a theme of our, of our series. And that is that whenever you forget who you are, you don't act as you should. And there are many Christians today that are walking around not acting as they should because they've forgotten who they are. And we have too much of that. And here's the thing, Christians cannot afford to forget who they are. Because what happens is this, is that they become spiritually vulnerable And when we become spiritually vulnerable, we become susceptible to the world. That means that whenever the world speaks, we turn to listen. Whenever the the world uh, extends its influence, we get influenced. When we forget who we are, it's very easy to forget how much God loves us and the price that he paid for us. Pastor John has been teaching uh, on a message, on uh, on a series called God Loves You. Very powerful, powerful message. And if we don't know how much God loves us by now, we're we're not going to know. But when we forget who we are, it's very easy to forget how much God loves us. And then when that happens, we tend to look for love in all the wrong places. We also settle for counterfeit love and false substitutes. We cannot afford to forget who we are in Christ. And so tonight... And I just want to highlight some of the things that we covered last week. But even when we are constantly forgetting who we are in Christ, our lives, our motives, our testimony, our behavior will not reflect who we truly are. And how will the world know that we belong to Christ if we don't know who we are? Amen? Amen. How does that help us to advance the kingdom of God? How does that bring honor and glory to God? Not being able to express and to show forth who we really are. So, last week, we began to look in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, where Paul says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. All things have passed away and all things become new. And we begin to look at the, get our attention. I believe that God is calling us to action. I believe God is saying to us, sit up. Don't you know who you are? So I believe that's what God is saying tonight. So when we looked at the old things that passed away, we began to look at what did Paul mean when he says old things. And of course, he was referring to the old you and everything that associated with your past life, your attitudes, your motives, your lifestyle, your behavior, everything that was under the rule and, and control of Satan—that's what the old things Paul, that Paul was talking about. Galatians chapter two verse twenty says this: "I have been crucified with Christ; it is no longer I who live, but Christ that lives in me." That should be the testimony of every believer. And as a matter of fact, I would I would suggest that you would quote that constantly every day to remind yourself that you the old man the old you has been crucified with christ therefore it is no longer you who live but it's christ that lives in you and paul was on to say and the life that i now live in this flesh i live by faith in the son of god in other words paul's faith was in the power of christ that lives inside of him to enable him to empower him and to become everything that god created him to be it is so important that we know that. Romans 6 at verse 4 says, We were buried with him through baptism into death. And in Romans 6, 6, we looked at where it says that our old man was crucified with him, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Then we began to look at Putting out the old man. Where Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 24, Paul says that we are to put off concerning your former conduct or your former life or behavior, the old man. The word put off means to put away or to cast off. The New Living Translation says to throw off your old sinful nature. So here's a question, and I didn't go over this last week, but if the Bible tells us that we are crucified with Christ and if it says that all things have passed away then why do we still need to put off the old man? well this is the reason why when we came to Christ and we gave our lives to the Lord we identified ourselves with Christ's death we also identified with his resurrection the Bible says we died with Christ Therefore, we also were raised up with him. We also identify with his ascension. The Bible says that we are seated together with Christ in heavenly places. Therefore, we are sharing the same authority and power that Jesus has. So the best way I can explain this to you is this way. Let's just say that you were a general manager in a corporation. Your boss comes into the office and tells you you've been promoted to vice president. So pack up your things, clear up your office and show up Monday morning to your new office and we start right away. So you're not gonna come Monday morning and go back to your old office and do your old general manager stuff because that's not your position anymore. Are are you with me? That's not your position anymore. So you shouldn't be doing general manager stuff because you've been promoted. What you need to do is move into your new position Start doing vice president stuff and start acting like a vice president. So when the Bible says we have to put up the old man, the fact that we identify with his death, therefore we need to walk as though we're dead to sin. And the Bible said that we are made alive with Christ, so therefore we need to act as though we're alive in Christ. And then if we said that we are seated together with him in heavenly places, that means we need to act as though we're sitting with Christ in heavenly places with all authority. In other words, we are to act into our position with Christ. And so, and keep in mind, and that's why Paul says in Romans chapter 6 and verse 11, to reckon yourselves dead to sin, but alive unto Christ. That means to consider yourselves dead, but alive to Christ. That means you need to step into your position in Christ and begin to act like Christ. Amen. Amen. Then in Ephesians 4:25, he said, "Therefore putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth, you no longer hold that position as a liar." Yeah. Ephesians chapter four and verse 31. It says, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. If you're still speaking evil of others, or if you're still being bitter towards others, you need to put that off because you no longer hold that position. That's not who you are anymore. Colossians 3.8 says this, But now you yourselves are to put up all of these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, and filthy language out of your mouth. If there's filthy language coming out of your mouth, you need to put it away. You no longer hold that position because that's not who you are. If we forget who we are, we don't act as we should. So just just some of the highlights. And then finally we talked about Moses. Moses was an example of someone who had forgotten who he was. After spending 40 years of of his life in In the wilderness, as a sheep herder, settled in his life, getting comfortable right where he was. God interrupted his life and said, it's time for you to do something for me. In other words, I have an assignment for you. And Moses' response in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 11 was this, who am I, Lord? The fact that he said, who am I, tells me that he'd forgotten who he was. And after spending 40 years in the wilderness as a sheep herder, he could not see himself beyond as a sheep herder because he was destined to be a deliverer, but he couldn't see that because he'd forgotten who he was. And then I said to you last week that sometimes when we find ourselves settled in our lives, it's very easy to become comfortable and it's very easy to be complacent and it's very easy to get used to the routine until God interrupts your settled life and says, here's your next assignment. And then our response would be, who am I, Lord? You see, Moses saw himself as unfit, unworthy, and unqualified to carry out the assignment that God had given him because he'd gotten used to the lifestyle of a sheep herder, not realizing that God has so much better for him, so much greater things for him to do. And my charge to you is that don't live a settled life because God is going to interrupt that settled life. He's going to shake that life because he wants to shake your faith. Because he has an assignment for you. So, what I ask that you do is be in a spirit of readiness and preparation because you'll never know when God is going to interrupt your life for your next assignment. Amen. So, Moses believed that he could not do what God had asked him to do because he had an inaccurate perception of himself, he felt inadequate. Inefficient, and unfit. Don't ever define yourself by who you think you are. Don't ever define yourself by what somebody else says you are. Don't define yourself by your circumstances or by your situation because that doesn't define who you are. God is the one that defines who you are. So don't settle for what you think you are. But find out what God says you are. And you'll find out that God thinks of you far greater than you think of yourself. Amen. Amen. So let's continue on with who we're not. Go to Romans chapter 6 as we continue on with this lesson. Romans chapter 6 and verse 17. Says this, But God be thanked that through you, though you were slaves or servants of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. Now, the Greek word for servant is the Greek word doulos. Now, this word is probably the worst expression that is used in the Greek language to describe this particular servant. Because this word describes a servant that was so totally into slavery that he had no destiny or no promising future of his own. This word slavery or servant, this doulos, means that this slave was in a never-ending, never-changing service to his master, doing whatever he wanted him to do. In other words, fulfilling the whims, the desires, the impulses, and the urges of the very one who controls him, his master. Explain or describe this word doulos as one whose will is completely swallowed up in the will of another. In other words, this is the word that Paul chose to describe our spiritual condition when we were dead in our sins before Jesus came into our lives. In other words, we were completely consumed, engrossed, swallowed up, and engulfed in the will of Satan. That's where we used to be. We were sold entirely to sin, and we had no say, and you know, you may think you may have control of your life before Christ came into your life, but in reality, you had no control. You weren't calling the shots because you were in a tight grip of sin and Satan, and all you can do is what they wanted you to do. That was our spiritual condition. In other words, our entire existence before Christ on this earth was centered, on a, centered around fulfilling the whims, the desires, the urges, as well as the impulses Of the very one who controlled us. And that's sin and Satan. So Paul is here telling us. That the condition that we were in before we came to Christ. How destitute our lives was. And you know when you think about that. You can thank God for where you are today. Hallelujah. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. This slavery to sin was so deeply rooted in our nature that it became our very lives. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, Paul says this, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Now, let me read the second verse in the Amplified Version. It says this, In which... At one time you walked habitually. You were following the course and fashion of this world, were under the sway of the tendency of this present age, following the prince of the power of the air. You were obedient to and under the control of the demon spirit that still constantly works in the sons of disobedience, that is the careless, the rebellious, and the unbelieving who go against the purposes of God. Now let me draw your attention to the word works here. The word works in the Greek is energeo, which is where we get the word energy from. And it means a force that is energizing. How many of you uh, seen the, uh, the Energizer Bunny on commercial? There was something that was energizing that bunny to keep going and going and going. And of course it was the Energizer Battery which they were promoting. Prior to our salvation, there was a force that was energizing our lives, that kept us going, and going, and going, in a sin, of, uh, in a life of sin. And of course, that force Paul talks about is this evil spirit, or the power, or the prince of the power of the air. In other words, the demonic spirit was controlling and influencing our lives, and we were bound to that spirit, and there was not much that we can do because we were subject to his control. And it was he that was energizing our lives, causing us to live a life of sin. What I'm trying to tell you is that we were enslaved before we came to Christ. We had no say in our lives. We didn't call the shots. We were under control of sin and we were doomed to fail no matter how hard we tried to be good. But that's not who we are. I'm still talking to you about who we're not. Ephesians 2.13, one of my favorite verses. After hearing all of this, Paul says this, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Glory to God. That's what made the difference. This is no longer who we are. Go to Romans chapter 6. The death that you and I experienced when we came to Christ... At the cross, that sin, that old way, that old way of doing things, the old way of thinking, that old you. That same nature that we inherited from Adam, that is dead. So we're no longer in a spiritual prison. We'll be even set free, gain control, because the old man wants to resurrect himself and gain control. He wants to assume the, the, uh, the reign and rule that he once had but because we're dead to sin. It should not be in control. Romans 6, verse 5 says this, For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Verse 6 saying, Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be be done away with, And that we should no longer be our slaves to sin. Now I want you to say this with me. We are no longer longer slaves to sin. sin. Say that again. We are no longer longer a slave to sin. sin. Look at what he says in verse 7. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Boy, I tell you, that's good news. Paul says, for sin shall not have dominion over you. So keep that in mind. Think about that. Because we've been set free, the sin no longer has power over our lives. That means that we cannot just continue to sin because it has no control. We're free to serve another master who is Christ Jesus. We are not here to serve sin anymore. We've been set free from that. Romans 6, 2 says this, Paul asks this question, knowing that we've been set free from sin and death, knowing that our old man is dead, knowing that old things have passed away, knowing that we now are free, Paul writes, asks this question in uh, verse 2, how shall we who die to sin still live in it? If we're dead to sin, if our old man is dead, if we have been crucified with Christ, Paul asked the question, how shall we who died to sin still live in it? What does it mean to be dead to sin? Well, how many of you, well, I'm sure most of you, if not all of you, had a boyfriend or a girlfriend? And, of course, those of you who are married, I'm talking about before you were married. <laughs> but how many of you were had a boyfriend and a girlfriend? You were going together, and then things weren't working out, and so you decided... To break up. Right? We've all been there, right? What happens when you break up? You end a relationship. And when you end a relationship, you separate yourself from each other. You go your separate ways. And when you go your separate ways, you no longer have anything to do with one another. Right? Right? So when the Bible says we are dead to sin, it means that we've ended all relationship to sin and its activities. We've separated ourselves from it. We've gone our separate ways. Therefore, we have no more to do with that. We're not calling them. We're not texting them. We're not visiting them. No, we've separated ourselves. That's what it means to be dead to sin. Now, I might be getting ahead of myself here. There are some believers who are still thinking, well, let me, let, me, let me backtrack here. When I was a young teenager, I was in love for the first time in my life. Now, this is a little bit embarrassing, but I'm going to put it out there because I'm making a point. And I remember falling in love with a, a girl who was two years older than I was. She was in love with me. And so, you know, we were dating and, you know, doing all the things that, you know, couples do that they love each other and everything else. And um, then things got really serious because now she wanted me to talk to her aunt and, you know, officially ask her out and you know, go steady. Um, so, you know, I was really nervous and I went in there, I did my thing. and She said, no, <laughs> I didn't impress her, but we still wanted to date anyway. So we still did it behind her back. And then one day, I got a phone call. And it was her. And she told me that she had to call it off and end the relationship. <laughs> I can't believe I'm saying this. <laughs> but keep in mind, I'm making a point here. <laughs> I did? Okay. Okay. So I... <laughs> I remember when she told me she couldn't go, go out with me, I, I kind of knew why. Her aunt had something to do with that. But I remember how heartbroken I was. And so I was crying over the phone and pleading with her. It's like, I'm just making a complete fool of myself. But I was young. And then I remember my father, who happened to hear the conversation, and in all of his wisdom said, what are you crying over her for? There are plenty of fishes in the sea. Now, he was true. He was correct by saying it, but I didn't need to hear that at that time. So I spent weeks thinking about her because I didn't quite get over her yet. I was hoping that she would call, hoping that she would make that connection, hoping that she would change her mind. I would even drive by the house hoping that I'd run into her. I pray that God will bring all these things out of your remembrance. If there's one thing I want you to forget is this. But my point here is this, because I, I lingered and weeks went on and I, I just couldn't get over her. There are many Christians today that can't seem to get over their past life. If you're still thinking about your past life, it's because you've not gotten over it. And if you're spending time thinking and thinking about it, you need to put that off because you're not, that's not part of your life anymore. It's not who you are. So you need to make a very quick decision because you're in a dangerous place if you're still thinking about your past life. You need to let that go and realize I'm dead to that. I have been crucified. That, like, that part of my life has been crucified. I'm, I'm alive in Christ right now. That is no longer part of my life. So you need to put that off and begin to look forward to what's ahead. I like what Isaiah 43 verse 18 says because in every relationship, once it's ended, and I finally got over it and the next thing to do was to forget it. And of course, joining the army helped me to forget it really quick. But Isaiah 43 in verse 18, it says this, do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. I want you to memorize this verse and not remember what I've just shared with you tonight. (laughs) And not consider the things of old. Paul says in Philippians chapter 3 verse 13 that we have to forget those things which are behind and reach forward to those things which are ahead. When, we, when we're still trying to hold on to our past, we're preventing God from moving us forward to what's ahead because there's something that God has for us down the road. And we don't want to prevent God from doing all that he needs to do in our lives because he wants to take us. He wants to take us places. He wants us to grow and develop and produce in our lives. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. In verse 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature or a new creation. All things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. The moment we come to Christ and and and, and, and go into Christ and receive him in our lives, by faith, our lives changed. And deep inside of us, there's a new nature that is put inside of us, that has been deposited in us. This new nature, which is the new birth, is where our identity begins. We're talking about now who we are in Christ. Romans 6, 4 tells us that we are to walk in newness of life. Go to Colossians chapter 3, verse 10. Verse 10 says this, And have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. In order for us to be able to put on the new man, we must first put off the old man. In other words, God's not going to put a new man on top of the old man. It's like putting a brand new suit over your old work clothes. No, God puts off that old man, that old you, so that he can put the new you in you. Ephesians 4 verse 24 says this, And that you put on the new man, which was created according to God, resembled the divine image of God. Now, that might sound crazy to some of you. But if you remember in Genesis 1 and verse 26, God says, as a matter of fact, the Godhead got together and says, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. So in other words, when the Bible says that we are being created, According to God in true righteousness and holiness. In other words, God wants to recreate everything starting from scratch and begin to become like the Adam that was first created. The Adam that was first created had the nature of God, had the quality of God, had the characteristics of God. He was perfect. God has recreated us. In other words, we weren't reformed. We weren't rehabilitated. We weren't even re-educated. We were recreated. That means God is starting all over again. There's nothing old that is in us. As a matter of fact, the life of a man, when it comes to this new life, that never existed before until we came to Christ. So this new life, has been it's a recreation of ourselves. And it's the Spirit of God that does the recreating. Therefore, now, because we've been recreated in Christ, there's nothing old involved. You know, if you was to go buy a brand new suit, you're going to go to Walmart or somewhere, not Walmart, but you can't buy a good suit in Walmart. <laughs> but let's say you want to buy a, a brand new shirt or a brand new skirt. You want to buy brand new, so you go to Walmart and buy brand new. You're not going to get something brand new if you go to Sabres or if you're going to go to Salvation Army. Now, there's, a, there's anything wrong with that. <clears throat> but what God does is brand new. He doesn't try to make, so it, it, let me put it like this. You can't take something old and change it to something new. Let me give you an example. I like to use Alan's car. Alan has a 1997 Buick LeSabre. Now, you can tell that's an old car because when you sit in, it still has a cassette player. So you know that car is old. But let's say you took the car. He took the car. He put a brand-new coat of paint. He put a brand-new coat of wax. He put in brand new tires, steam cleaned the engine, steam cleaned underneath, polished all the chrome, vacuumed and shampooed the interior, polished up the dashboard. That car is going to look very nice. As a matter of fact, it's going to have an appearance of newness. But the car is still old. It's still a 1997 Buick. God doesn't operate that way. When we became born again, everything was new. brand spanking new. There is nothing old in us. When God created us, he created us in Christ Jesus. In true righteousness and holiness, he created us after the image of himself. And it's the spirit of God that is working in us to enable us, to empower us, to conform us into the image of his son. And that is what the spirit of God is doing for the rest of our lives. Because God is trying to get us back to the place that we once were. When God and Adam had a close personal relationship, God is doing the same right now. This is where we are. This is where we need to be. So that's why it's important that we put off the old man. And sometimes that's going to take a daily process, a daily thing. But the Bible says that we are renewed day by day. This renewal. This recreating is happening constantly throughout our lives so that we can become more and more like Christ. And when we know this and we begin to walk in our true identity, walk in who we really know we are, then that image begins to flow and and manifest itself and people begin to see who we really are. That's Christ. 1 John 3, 9 says this. Whoever has been born of God does not sin. For his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. This new nature, this new spirit, this new you is perfect. And he cannot sin. Because we're born of God. We're not born of the world. When Pastor John mentioned that, We're not true anymore. That's not true anymore. That's not who we are. We are children of the Most High God. That should mean something to you. Go to Galatians chapter 2. Paul writes in verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. As a matter of fact, you can personalize that and put your name in front of that verse and say, Mike has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer Mike who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. I want to share a little illustration. Because I think that as born-again believers, we take for granted what God has really done in our lives. There's a gentleman by the name of Oscar Cervantes. And as a child, he had a rough upbringing. He was always getting into trouble. When he got older, he got into serious crimes and, was, and ended up in jail 17 times for brutal crimes. <clears throat> While he was in prison, he had to go through a series of psychiatric evaluation. And this is what the psychiatrist said in prison. The prison psychiatrist said this, that Oscar was beyond help. So, during his brief time outside of prison, because he spent so much time in it, that the, the time that he spent outside of prison was, was very brief. But during the time that he was outside of prison, he ran into an old guy. This old guy just came in and he began to witness to him and share Christ. After time, Oscar began to trust in the Lord and was transformed. And he became a kind and caring man. We're talking about the same Oscar who committed brutal crimes, who's been in and out of prison 17 times, and who the prison psychiatrist says he's beyond help. Well, not too long after that, he began a prison ministry. And this chaplain was had watched and and witnessed his ministry. As a matter of fact, he worked out of Soldad State Prison. And the third Saturday night of each month, He would have what they called Oscar night, which was named after himself, after Oscar, uh, Cervantes. And he would have, and all the inmates would come. They would come in droves. And they would all get together and begin to sing praises and and gospel music. And think about this picture of these hardened criminals in the same room, singing praises unto the Lord. Uh, I mean, it's amazing to see that. And then after the end, at the end of the service, at the end of the, uh, the praise and worship time, then they would sit down for two hours listening intently to the message that Oscar was bringing. And then at the end of the service, they would all come up, without even asking to, to come up, they would all come up to the altar. And the chaplain, having witnessed this every Saturday of, a month, of each month, and he made this statement. He said this, What professionals had failed to do for Oscar in years of counseling, Christ did in a moment of conversion. God took what was old, put it off of him, and replaced it with something brand new. Something that was created in Christ. Something that is holy, something that is righteous. So that that man can become more and more like Christ. Amen. So when we talk about being born again, that should mean something more than just the words born again. You've been changed. As a matter of fact, no, you weren't changed. You were recreated. You weren't reformed. You weren't rehabilitated. You weren't even reeducated. You were recreated. God started from scratch and started all over again and began to create a new being Hallelujah. Hallelujah Let's pray Father we thank you Thank you for all that you've done Thank you Father God for the born again experience Thank you Father for making us new Thank you Father for recreating us in Christ Jesus Thank you Father God that we are created after you in righteousness and true holiness Thank you Father God from conforming us into your image. Father, help us to remind ourselves, Father, that who we really are. Help us, Father God, that we walk in the position that you placed us in, Christ. Father, help us to show forth the world who we truly are, Father, that we are children of God. Let us walk in our true identity. Let us walk, Father God, in the authority that you've given us. And Father, we thank you, Father. We're not going to take this for granted. We are born again. We've been recreated. And we're not mere men. Glory to God. Or something far special. And Lord for this, we thank you. We thank you. And now, Father, we ask, Lord God, that you minister to everyone that is here tonight. I pray, Father God, that you've had a word for them. I pray, Father God, that you've spoken to them. I pray, Father God, that you've had a timely word for them that will help them to grow and to develop and be everything that you call them to be. Father, I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you, Father, for the love that you've bestowed upon us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.